There we go. Yes, Olafur, work on your belt. Now that we're live. I mean, we have we have approximately one million people watching on LinkedIn right now. Um, something like that. Sure. So welcome, everyone. It's a, a wonderful afternoon here in Copenhagen. Um, that's why we have the window open. And uh, we have a little bit of a Carlsberg beer here to um, lighten the day. Today, Olafur and I, we are going to talk about forecasting. Yeah? Uh, specifically, sales forecasting. You know, why is this interesting? Why does it matter? Well, there are a couple of different ways to go about that, actually. Uh, and obviously, everyone, you know, cares a lot about this freaking sales forecast a lot. Before we jump in, um, obviously, um, if you have any questions, I think it's uh, better for you to be on the Zoom link. So you need to sign up, get into the Zoom, and then ask questions here. You can ask any kind of questions, you know, uh, could be on the topic, could not be on the topic. Bart will figure out when and how to ask them. Um, and otherwise, Olaf and I are just going to have a, uh, you know, a little conversation about forecasting. Um, after this session, we're going to go a little bit on a summer break because we are in Denmark and basically the whole country is going to shut down in July. So we can't, you know, have this whole thing kind of running. Um, but we'll be back sometime in August. You know, stay tuned for that. So, Olafur, what's, what's, what's the purpose of forecasting, actually? Uh, yeah, I think it's so that you have an understanding of how much revenue you are projected to close by the end of the current quarter. At least that's how it's been for me. I've never been able to successfully create a forecast for the quarter that is ahead. Um, so yeah, it's to gain a realistic understanding about what are you realistically going to be closing yeah. in the current quarter. And, and you know, so I mean, this is a thing that I run into a lot. This word forecast is being thrown around many, many ways uh, and people mean different things, right? So you can, you can ask a finance person, ask, uh, you know, what's your forecast for the year? And they will give you um, kind of the, the, the revenue budget, the budget. item or something like yeah. that, right? Sometimes when you talk to them, they say, oh, we're on, uh, we on reforecasting. And it's not that they're in the weekly meeting about reforecasting. They're basically rebudgeting, re rebuilding the budget. Kind of that's what forecasting for them means. Yeah. Um, but today specifically, we're talking about the sales forecast, right? Uh, just to be kind of super clear about this. And obviously, why are people interested in this? They want to know what is the number that you're going to hit in the end of the quarter. Yeah, and I think it also serves some other functions. I think at least the way I've run forecasting meetings specifically, it's to, uh, to some degree, it's actually enabling and enforcing processes and making sure yeah. that if people are forecasting certain things, certain qualifiers have to be met. You yeah. are in talks with the economic buyer, you're with procurement if you're at 90%. So it's almost a sanity check. Hey, if you have it on 90, who is actually on the procurement side? Yeah. And if you really don't know how to answer that, then it's a way for management to moderate the forecast sort of as it's being projected. Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of that split purpose is actually kind of sometimes really, really important to keep in mind, right? So there's obviously the, the top-down purpose from the CEO, the CFO, the CRO, kind of all of those, the VP of sales. They want to understand, um, are we in trouble? Are we not in trouble? Uh, do we need to do, create some magic here to hit the target at the end of the quarter or the month or whatever you're forecasting towards? Um, but at the same time, it's also very much an operational tool, right? It's kind yeah. of keeping keeping the AEs 
um, let's just say trained on the process, yep. uh, trained on the methodology, um, and also kind of a rule of thumb way to keep people almost accountable, right? Kind of, yeah. if this, if you kind of so confident <laughs> about this deal, that must mean you must be progressed so far in the sales process. Uh, if if not, then why is that actually, right? Um, yeah. yeah. No, because I think if you don't have that element to a forecast, then it is a completely non value adding exercise. It's a, how can I increase my guess of what will close? That is interesting to two, three, four, five people or whatever it is, and you might communicate it to the board, but you probably won't necessarily do that during a quarter. So if it's not mixed with how do you basically run a better process and how do you make sure the company is operating better and people are following process, then then it's not a value adding. It's not gonna change how much you're gonna close. It's just the way for you to have a better yeah. guess, right? So I have a really nice agenda. Uh, I'm gonna blow it now a little bit. And it's like, um, so this whole notion of a management override of like a, a bottom-up roll-up of a forecast, I'm jumping kind of to the <laughs> deep, very specific end here suddenly. I'm not sure why, but uh, what's your opinion on that? Do you like that? Do you not like that? No, so just to be clear, what you're talking about yeah. is that you have that you have either a state-based forecast or you have your AEs basically creating a best guess and adding a percentage of likelihood to close to a deal. And then there's often, in many companies, something called a management override or yeah. management uh, forecast, which is them moderating for what they know or what they understand or what they want to communicate upwards. And I don't like it. I think it, <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, you're basically disempowering your sales team from actually making the right decisions because what you should be doing is if you disagree with their forecast, you should be educating them to what do you know that they don't know or maybe you don't know because they're the ones talking to the client. And if you're just softening expectations upwards, then that is not the purpose of the forecast. Yeah. You need to be able to articulate to your AE that, hey, you might believe that it's at a lower percentage for reasons. And if they disagree, then it has to be almost their version of reality that is the most closely resembling what's yeah. going to happen because they're the ones talking to the actual prospect, right? And I'm not quite sure why I went to kind of this end, but it's really also a, um, you know, how do you really think about this? Should this be a, a bottom-up thing that actually is kind of substantiated? Yeah. Um, and then the management override kind of feels not not in sync with this, actually. The way I've been using this in the past is not on, you know, some folks do it on specific deals, like, oh, you know, this guy's on, you know, has this deal on 80%, let me take it down to 75% without taking the conversation of like, you know, I don't think it's at 80%. I used it for, um, uh-oh, there's a lot of risk in here. Let's just take the number down by a little bit, you know, in the end, basically. But you know what? Uh, let's follow our wonderful um, talk track and agenda that we have prepared here for today. Yeah. Um, so that was the purpose of forecasting. So really kind of just recap something, obviously understanding where you want to end by the end of the quarter, but also reinforcing this process with the AEs and using this almost as a as a teaching or a sales enablement uh, strategy. So next, we actually wanted to go into three different ways of forecasting. They're all different um, in, in, in the way they, you know, the methodology work. And um, I think for many people, and that's why we wanted to point it out like this, they kind of blend into one another. And we're gonna, you know, after that's actually talk about, you know, what the right, you know, from our recommendation, the right ways are of uh, which methodology you should be using when you're selling to SMB, to mid-market or to enterprise, right? Um, 
which might actually be the reason for some of that confusion because you might be working an SMB team and this is the way you forecast and you think everyone forecasts like that, but it's actually not true. It actually kind of works a little bit differently. So at first we're going to discover the three different methodologies of forecasting and then we're going to go into, you know, what we've seen is most popular and therefore the benchmark and therefore a little bit our recommendation on, you know, which kind of methodologies to use when you're selling to those different segments. And the first one we've chosen here is the AE-based forecast, right? And to a degree, this is the, the roll-up that you just mentioned. So you have Mr. AE sitting in the CRM, or Mrs. AE sitting in the CRM, uh, having a deal, progressing them to, I don't know, solution fit, commercial fit, you know, commit, or whatever, whatever you know, stages you have built. It doesn't actually matter. Um, and then, you know, you give them the opportunity or the ability to say, I think this deal is going to close, uh, you know, 75%, right? Um, that's what we're talking about. Um, and then how do you do forecasting with that? No, I think this is kind of, I think the most common approach because this is how the CRM, so HubSpot, Salesforce, Pipedrive for that matter, they're actually built to have the forecast more or less done in this way. There are some caveats to that HubSpot does allow for some other ways of doing it. But at the end of the day, there are almost three variants within that, which is that you have a process-based forecast, which is <clears throat> the sales stages set the probability of that deal closing. Mm. So now through the process of selling, that is what gives you a percentage of likelihood of close. And that has some ease of use because now as the A's are moving them through the sales stages, you automatically can apply the forecast that you think is reasonable for that stage. Yeah. Let me just recap that. So you maybe have five different stages. Um, and the first stage maybe is 10% probability. The next stage is 25% probability, 50%, and so forth. And by you moving a deal from A to B, then the probability changes. That's what, uh, what yeah. you refer to. And that is somewhat of a, it's an okay way to do it. I actually don't believe it's the best way to do it because sometimes you are far in a process. Let's just say you've moved to the fourth or fifth stage, which might be called negotiation you would have decided as a management team that everything in negotiation should be on 80 or 90%. But you're actually dealing with a customer who's told you that, hey, we're debating your solutions versus one alternative, and it's basically even Steven right now. Why wouldn't you take that resource of information and actually say that that deal is worth 50%? So that is sometimes where the forecast percentage can also be modified or overwritten by the AE. So that's kind yeah. of a flavor of the states-based one. Yeah. And then the... Actually, on this one... Um what some people do in order to get their forecast right, um, they then take this deal that is an 80%, 90% forecast because you're in legal, and then they put it into you know some other stage. And those stages are usually process-oriented. It's like needs analysis, you know, solution fit, commercial fit, negotiation, and so forth. And then you're taking something that sits in legal because, yeah, maybe, they, maybe they're stupid. Maybe they took two deals into legal and really push it all the way to the end. And, you know, take that, that step that sits there and then put it to, I don't know, solution fit being established, which only sits at 40% or something yeah. like that, in order to match that, right? And this is where you then go into, uh-oh, uh should anything ever be going backwards? <laughs> that's, like a, that's like a good question, by the way. Yeah. But then number two, it's really also about the, um, uh, this just not being, you know, this not being reality, so therefore, giving them the opportunity to uh, override that stage-based forecast. That's kind of what you're referring to. 
Yeah, because at the end of the day, when you want to sit in a forecast meeting, you want to have them feel accountable to where that deal is and what the probability of that deal is because you're going to ask them questions around it. And if in the process they've gotten to negotiation, they shouldn't be going back to needs analysis. That doesn't make any sense just because they don't want to argue the deal in the forecast meeting. They should rather be able to basically take it out of forecast if they don't believe in it because there is factors that they've gotten a bad sign from legal or they won't be able to meet the InfoSec requirements or whatever it might be. You would yeah. actually want that reflected. And uh, and so, I think those are sort of the two main... So question for you. Yeah. Who should be running... Should No, no, no. Let me say it the other way around. Should revenue operations run those forecasting meetings? I think it depends on the, on the sales leadership and how numbers-oriented they are. I have personally actually done that and or had my team do it but usually then only on the management level so that is when the regional hats or the departmental owners would come in and debate yeah. the overall forecast yeah. yeah but on a <clears throat> ae level forecast within your team no i don't believe so no me, me neither and um and i think one fundamental issue um that i've found that blocks that so number one it's a it's a sales enablement kind of function and purpose we kind of talked about this already yeah and then number two to be honest um, as RevOps, it's not like you're, you're good at closing deals. You don't have actually any fucking clue about that. Um, yeah. And then sitting in that meeting, you almost need to ask yourself, what is my value add here? Is my, <laughs> is my value add to read out the percentages kind of in the CRM? What is, yeah. what is it that I'm bringing to the table? You can always spin into, oh, you know, I can maybe help with, you know, pushing this through legal or whatever if there's some kind of issues around this. But it's fringe, but I no. think. Right, and even even uh, you know if you're if you're RevOps and then having the audacity to push back on what a sales rep says, yeah. um, you know I think this is how you can make unfriends uh, real quick. No, but it's also because that meeting is about accountability towards a target and what is expected to be met out of that target, right? And RevOps is not the one holding regional sales leaders accountable. That is the CRO's job, or that yeah. is someone else's job. That's just not it's not RevOps, right? Mm -hmm. And then I think just lastly to make Sorry. sure we also cover uh, one of the more common AE-based forecasts, which is that you actually have a non-percentage-based uh, sort of grouping of deals. This is, I think, more prominent with enterprise than anything else. And that is where you have this sort of pipeline. We're not relying on any of those deals to come in. <clears throat> then you'll have a commit undiluted value of all the deals that you have in. I'm committing that I think I can bring all of these deals on board. So undiluted, you mean 100% of the value? Yeah. Have. So you're looking at, I'm committing to these six deals. They each have a value of 10K. I'm 60K committed. And then there will typically be an upside or best case or something like that where they say, if things go my way, I also have another 100K here sitting in a in a bucket that could potentially happen. That, that This is actually very, very common as well. But would you actually, and you know, I'm actually not so familiar with this one. I've, I've ran into it a couple of times, but I'm actually not so familiar with it. Um, would you then basically say wherever they are in the process, people can then label them commit and, uh, and best case? Or, or is, it, is it a stage in itself or how no, does it work? That, that, that is process divorced. Yeah. And it is typically because when you have, uh, let's just say, an ACV of 50K, but you will have 400K deals and you have a 30K deals and 150K deals, the deals individually are binary. The deal will either close or it won't close, so it's not a percentage discount on it because yeah. that kind of works on a volume basis, yeah. but it doesn't work when you're looking at, what do you say, like high contrast sort of ACV deltas between individual deals. Then 
the AE leadership needs to be talking about those individual deals, why we believe in them. You obviously will question into process, but it is not a requirement yeah. to putting them into It's a little buckets. bit, you know, if I have a 200K deal and you say that will close by 75%, yeah. it really means you, you know, if your ACV usually is 10K, yeah. you would need like two and a half other deals to fill in for this last thing yeah. or, you know, even more if the whole thing falls flat. Yeah. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't work out like that. And you'll this. never close 75% of it. You will close zero dollars yeah. on it or the full value. That's kind of... Yeah, no, of logic. course. I mean, that's true also for the small deals, but it's really about the, um, you know, if it doesn't happen, what do you need to no, refill that's where up? The, it's like crazy. The volume like. moderates then for you being off on individual deals. That's why the percentages, they moderate for the, you know, on the whole, you're going to be right overall but you won't yeah. be right about individual deals right yeah okay so this is i think this is honestly this is like um i would say 85 percent of yeah. companies are doing something like this for sure right yeah um and and it doesn't exclude some people do the other stuff as well but i would say almost everyone is doing some form of this and 85 percent of people are probably only doing this yeah and i think the middle one so basically the AE true forecast where they can both have it be set based on stages. So there's a range that they can play around with within mm -hmm. the decision-making process. And they can also downgrade it if they truly have the signal to to kind of understand that. I think that's what I at least have very much weird towards because it creates so much accountability with the individual yeah. reps and it connects it so strongly to process. But but still giving them room to maneuver, right? So in you know, a little bit more detail, the way we, and this is a mid-market play, so don't kind of get confused, but the way we actually did that back then, if I remember this correctly, is we had a couple of stages and we allowed them to only go up to the stage limit. They could also take it down. They could never, you know, the stages were determined by the process, right? Um, and you could move something to, you know, negotiation, get the feedback that, um, hey, you're one out of two, and then know, okay, the stage can go up to 90%, um, and that could be true, but in this case, I know it's actually only at 50 because it's like us or the other. Right? And in the same vein, you can't be in uh, in discovery or needs analysis and put 90 on it because you had a really great call because you simply cannot put 90% yeah. confidence on it until you have done the states where you're talking commercial and you've connected with the economic buyer, right? Yeah. So. It goes both ways. We call them the warm and fuzzies, by the way. Um, okay, so this is a E-based forecast. <clears throat> Let's move to the next one, AI-based forecast. <laughs> and and just to kind of tee this up, this kind of, you know, Clary's, I think, kind of the leader in this space, right? I think they're like 150 million Gong in AI. Gong is stepping into it. Gong is stepping in, and they're probably going to like probably going to be getting uncomfortable for, for Clary here. And, and then there are a couple of other players that are doing kind of this forecasting thing a little bit, right? Um, I don't know some of the others, by the way. Don't get me wrong in terms of what the methodology is using. I would very much assume they're using a similar methodology to a large degree. Um, Olafur, from what you know, what is kind of this AI-based methodology that people are, are talking about? Yeah, this is the one <clears throat> I'm at least personally the least familiar with. I haven't uh, implemented this directly myself, but I have seen demos and I've talked to people who've used it. And this is really about saying, let's look at the deal patterns for successful deals in the past. And let's look at the deal patterns for unsuccessful deals in the past. Look at the engagement, the refresh rate, yeah. the update rate, the connect rate. The multi-threading. Basically looking at 
a ton of different factors that an AE could never bake into him giving a better forecast. So basically saying there's now going to be an AI looking at so many different signals, almost black boxing it to say, and that's how we'll moderate a expected outcome or yeah. forecast on that. And then you can also use that to say, hey, that deal hasn't been you know updated or touched in you know two weeks. We generally see that if that happens, it has a forty percent you know more likelihood to close lose than to close win if those patterns emerge. But at the way of the reason why I've never geared towards it is because it, it it disempowers a little bit the AE from truly taking ownership of the forecasting and truly taking ownership of the way that he's running that deal. And there's a little bit of a black box behind it, sort of telling you. You know, the AI said you're going to close a million and a half this quarter, but does the CRO feel accountable to that number? Does the sales team who has a different number within their remit, do they feel accountable? They just say the computer guessed this, so I guess that must be right. So Yeah, I think I think some of that stuff is like, um, I, I, you know, I think if you're using like this, I think you're doing it wrong. I think some people, what they do is they use it as a way of triangulating. And by the way, this is also one of the takeaways here try and use at least two of those different methods um, in order to get a range of where you land versus just using one specific one. Um, and um, and I think this year kind of gives a nice kind of thing to it. I think that's why Clary is also bought a lot by like CFOs because um, they're not accountable for this thing. Um, and they can use this, hey, the machine says we're not going to hit and you're telling me you're going to hit uh, and this then gives them an opportunity to dig in and be like, so why are you thinking we're going to hit, right? Yeah. I think the other thing that this AI thing is also sometimes doing is like uh, it gives you a bit of prioritization. Like, you know, this deal on paper, on AI paper, looks shit. Let's not keep burning more energy on this. Let's just focus on the other stuff, right? I think I think yeah. there's some like, um, let's just say, uh, nice features to it, I think, that warrant that. It's also it's a hefty fucking price ticket with Clary. I think they kind of they you yeah. know I think minimum ticket is fifty hundred k or something like that. I might be wrong, but I might know. also just look at it a little bit like a sales management tool because <clears throat> at the end of the day, you're catching a lot of bad behavior that now through numbers you can basically prove. Hey, you're telling me everything in Roger, but there's no email, no phone call for two weeks. Yeah. That's a bad signal. Yeah. What are you gonna do about that, my friend? So I think it is almost veering into sales management territory as well. Yeah. Um, and I've actually been impressed by what I've seen from Clary. So I think it's a great solution for, you know, many different purposes. I Clary think it's an add-on for their me. Co competitors, whatever. Yeah. I think what I think is really interesting about the space, you have this whole like consolidation thing going on, like sales loft adding, I think forecasting and you have, uh, um, you know, Gong adding forecasting and uh, kind of this sales engagement, what outreach and sales are. Kind of you have this whole thing happening there. Um, I actually, so, and that's why it's starting to get really squeezy around this whole forecasting topic, I think. I th what, what do you think? Who's going to win this game? I think I'm betting on Gong. At the <laughs> yeah. end of the day, Clary is looking at CRM yeah. entries. They're looking at automatically locked phone calls. They have no clue what's happening with those phone calls. They don't read the emails. Yeah. Gong has a superpower where they basically are transcribing what the client said. They can you know, get sentiment. They can add so many cool ways to actually analyze that and predict something that might be better than a salesperson can ever be taught to do it. I don't know. I, don't, I think they no, could I th end up I with think, something that is like I think so too. magical. I think that data source of like 
the transcript the transcription of the actual call yeah i think having access to that and you know using that for insights for your forecasting i think that's pretty gold honestly um yeah. and i think um i think that also removes some of the limitations of should you use it for smb should you use it for you know whatever right kind yeah. of there could be some pieces to it that uh, make this extremely powerful obviously if clary is getting that insight through i don't know a jiminy or you know chorus or Mm. Who's, who bought Chorus? Wasn't it Salesloft actually? I'm kind of making kind of confused. Sure. But anyway, kind of the stuff that's actually you know being said on the sales call, I think there's a gold mine of, of yeah, insights. Yeah. And the next step, once if they really figure this out, I mean, you and I have spent a lot of time thinking about how to do churn prediction and churn prevention yeah. at scale. This is like a clear next use case for them, right? It, I mean, I don't know. That I've never cracked myself. Kind I don't of, know. Yeah. I think, I think, um, uh, I think churn is a is a pretty like terrible terrible fucking problem to solve because it's like you know, I mean you can you know this AI side aside um, AI thing aside um, you can listen to a call of a customer um, and everything is peachy everything is fine you still get the cancellation the next day right kind of yeah. you, you know the sentiment on the call is probably not going to help you. You, I think you need to add this like a, a bunch of different things. Anyway, let's not talk about yeah. churn too much. That's uh, maybe a different topic for a different day here. Um, but uh, again, right? So what is what is the the AI method? It's basically using in addition to stuff that they can see in the CRM, specifically also like engagement, engagement on email, engagement on phone calls. You know, is it multi-threading? Are they replying? Are they opening? Kind of these kind of things, and that. They're looking at this, and isn't wonderful the church bells are kind of ringing here. Uh, but uh, they're looking at this in uh, connection to uh, basically kind of how other deals looked like uh, in the past, and then they tell you, you know, if it's working out or not. Wonderful. So this was the AI-based one. We had the AE-based one before. Uh, I need to watch out with my German accent to not kind of mix this thing up here. Um, and now we're going into something. I'm not sure what are we calling this, but I'd put on like the past performance-based one. What, what would we be calling it? Isn't this the data-driven forecast almost more than anything else? Or the RevOps forecast? Mm, yeah, you could say that. But actually, know. now I'm going to ask you. Oh, why do you take a zip? <laughs> I have not been in SMB territory before where I believe maybe this is more applicable. Yeah. How would you think about doing a data-driven forecast? And where is it applicable? Yeah. Um, we're going to get to that actually after the slide here. But uh, generally speaking, the, the issues are in SMB, um, you you know, you know sit there in the first or second week of January. Your CEO comes to you and is like, Tony, where are we going to land by the end of March? Because that's my Q1. You know, I, I want to know. I hired you. You're pretty ridiculously expensive. I want to know what's the number at the end of the, uh, the quarter. Uh, and the thing is, if you're only looking at forecasting and you're an SMB, um, you're looking at the deals that you've opened and the money that you've closed. And uh, if you take, you know, the the forecast from that and the money that you've closed, you're going to end up with a very sad number. Uh, why? Because tomorrow you're going to open another opportunity. The next month you're going to open another opportunity. And all of those opportunities will still close in the quarter. So basically, in order to give any kind of forecast you know, in this quarter for the SMB segment, you need to blend forecast with projection. I'm going to get to that in a second. But that's basically kind of how you would uh, approach it. The 
past performance, you know, the data-driven forecasting method here, um, really what, you know, what we're kind of saying here actually is number one, uh, you know, analyze the different stages, right? So if something is going to a meeting held, what's the true probability of that closing? Whatever you put in there as, you know, the you know probability that it might close. Mm-hmm. If something is going somewhere else, what's the true probability of that? And then split that by what was a demo request, what was an outbound, what was an outbound in EMEA versus the US and so forth, right? I mean, are we, are we even but that, talking that the kind same of, language? Yeah, yeah, but that kind of gets you, what is the current stock going to yield at the end of the day? Yeah, what that's about, what we're talking about. What about the opportunities going to, how many opportunities are you going to open tomorrow? That's that's the next slide, Olafur. That's the, uh, we're going to talk then about uh, projections, actually. No, 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 no. That, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to use this for SMBs, you need to understand how many opportunities are going to be open tomorrow because, to your point, otherwise this past performance data-driven forecast is not going to give you the full picture, right? No, no, 100%. So, I mean, I think this is, again, like, um, if you take the AE-based forecast, it's the same thing, right? We're kind of we're looking at the stock, and even if you're in mid-market and have, like, three-month sales cycles, uh, at the beginning of the quarter, you still won't know. There still will be deals that are kind of flipping in, yeah, yeah. right? Same with the AI-based stuff, and here's a similar thing. Uh, yeah. But it's really just a different method of how to look at, you know, assessing what you have in your pipeline right now, yeah. in your stock, in your open open stages right now, and assessing, uh, you know, what is that worth almost, right? Kind of that's yeah. what it's doing. What the past performance piece is not useful for at all is like, um, you know, um, managing sales reps or something like that. Because you basically put them in front of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, Whatever you're gonna do with this deal, uh, it's coming from outbound. Uh, it's coming from outbound in the U.S. and it's in this stage. Whatever, whatever you think it's gonna be, it's 13% to close. Because historically, <laughs> any deal landing in that states will yes. close yes. 13% within yeah. current time frame, right? Yeah. And I think the, the the beauty of this is is this then helps you to create a triangulation of things, really, right? Yeah. It's kind of you have the AE based forecast. You have you know, maybe something like that, and you kind of start to be seeing like, okay. Where are they pointing? Are they pointing at the same thing? Are they pointing yeah. vastly different? And suddenly you have like a, ah, okay, um, there's a gap here. Let's uh, let's figure out why that gap exists and kind of use that as a tool to dig in. Yeah, and obviously without the projection, I remember from our Falcon days, you know, I always saw the every sales cycle there was 43 days or whatever it was, yeah. right? But I always kind of knew if we opened the quarter, at around 45 to 50% of what we needed for that quarter when everybody updated the deals and everything else, I was pretty certain we were going to hit. I knew yeah. just from looking at that, at start of quarter, I would have half of it if we were going to hit. By the time that the second month was halfway through, the forecast was basically baked. But but all of these are really heuristics, right? It's really kind of yeah. things that you and I looked Had at and it's like, uh, ah, okay, you know, we're here now, I think... I feel good about this number because I think I've seen, you know, that percentage kind of, you know, last quarter and it went well. We actually went so far to overlay all of these things in kind of the same graph to see like where the different forecasting cohorts are developing and stuff to kind of get a feel. Are we above or below what kind of we forecasted last quarter at the same time into the quarter and so forth. So we used some of those methods in order to... um, not you know predictably super well on day one project the or forecast the end of the quarter, but you know basically kind of where are we right now? And then there's something we haven't actually discussed, which is that there's almost a middle layer. There are opportunities that have been generated, 
There are opportunities in forecast with a close date or probabilisticness of closing either on data or mm-hmm. by AEs. But then you have open pipeline that is just in very early stages that haven't yet been progressed to the forecast. Yeah. And that's where you can use uh, pipeline, you can use pipeline coverage to at least sort of assess if they're coming in with enough healthy material so that they can theoretically generate yeah. enough forecast so that they can kind of get there, right? And that's actually kind of a bit of a tidbit from a colleague of ours, former colleague of ours, Ben Lewinsky, kind of he showed me this. Uh, they, you know, he's a culture, and what they're doing is they're basically plotting pipeline value, mm-hmm. like you know, you know, how much pipeline are we having for this quarter, for next quarter, and so forth. Yeah. He's plotting this over time, and he's basically kind of seeing those, those, you know, curves that are ideally increasing, and that gives you, you know, also another way to triangulate where we're going to end. Because you're this building quarter. and exhausting. It's yeah. always building and exhausting, yeah. building and exhausting, building and exhausting. Okay, so just to kind of recap, we have the, you know, you know, ask the rep, what is the rep thinking kind of forecast? Ask the AI, what is the AI thinking kind of forecast? And then the last one is, what's the past performance? And, you know, what is that telling us about the future? Okay, let's go where forecasts don't work, Olaf. What, what do you think? Where, where, don't, where don't, you know, where's forecasting a difficult thing? Well, when there's no process around it. I think at the end of the day, what I've found is that when forecasts don't work is when you haven't instilled a discipline to have people measure things in the same way. Mm-hmm. Meaning an opportunity needs to mean that somebody has committed to seeing a demo, for example. That needs to be a understood principle that when something is that object and gets created, that is what has been committed to. Now all opportunities will be measured the same way because they mean the same thing. Yeah. And when you're moving stuff over or giving an AE forecast, if you just have that it's someone's opinion or feeling or whatever, it becomes unreliable simply because you're going to have people who are very bullish and always want to project strength at the beginning. You will have the sandbaggers who want to have the hero moment coming through in the last week of the quarter. You're just subjecting yourself to a lot of things that you simply cannot control. So I I think that's at least sort of fundamentally what is always going wrong when I see these forecasts not working out. Is because you haven't cl- created a clear strategy and a framework, whether you use medic or whatever, a qualification framework to how you're progressing deals from the start to the end, yeah. and then connecting that qualification framework to the likelihood of those deals yeah. closing. I think the other big point is kind of towards the projection here, basically kind of saying, hey, um, actually, you know, at any given point in the quarter, especially if you're in the mid-market SMB, to a degree even enterprise, you might not have opened all of those opportunities that you are going to close by the end of it, right? So there's simply a, hey, there's still time for stuff to pop up and close, and we actually don't know about it because it's it's not there, and therefore we can't rely on the rep telling us, we can't rely on the AI telling us. Yeah. We can maybe, you know, with a projection kind of sense behind it, rely on a data-driven model to kind of help us figure this out. And I think one of the important things is to conceptualize what we're actually talking about here is that you should be looking at how many SDRs or MQL you're projecting to have and then saying how many are they going to be producing in the forthcoming period, knowing that we have a 30-day sales cycle on average, to not then say, well, all the ones we closed before you know, the 30th day prior to the end of the quarter, they are all going to then close within yeah. that period. It's actually to figure out, indeed, how many opportunities are going to get created when, based on the average production in the past, 
And then actually now kind of going into normal distribution, actually understanding how many of my 30-day you know, average sales cycles are actually closing within the first 20 days. Yeah. How many are closing in 20 to 40 days? How many are closing normally within 40 to 80 days? So now you can actually take those uncreated opportunities that are projected to be created in the future by the reps that you have in seats, and you can actually start to allocate how many of them are likely to fall within the fiscal period, aka quarter, that you're actually uh, yeah. looking at, right? And, you know, and this is really kind of to the now next... we met a little bit, Matthew, I think. But no, 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 but, uh, you know, well, let's kind of <coughs> do it like, um, you know, on this example, and this is really then in the in the SMB world, so now we're going to go through SMB mid-market enterprise and talk about what are the best ways to actually talk, you know, to forecast in the first place, right? Um, and uh, number one, on the on the SMB side... Again, small, medium business, you might have super high velocity, meaning you might be opening and closing opportunities um, in like two weeks or something like that, right? We're still talking two, three K ACV a year, um, and it might go really, really fast. Um, and the thing is now you might have uh, X amount of open opportunities, um, but you, you, know, you will simply not know how many opportunities you're going to create tomorrow, the day after, and so forth, at least not for the forecast, the forecast is pretty stupid in this regard, right? Um, and generally speaking for the SMB side, we do recommend kind of a, a blend. So first of all, very much data driven. You don't need to ask every AE what they're thinking and so forth. It, it's a numbers game at this point in time and kind of the wisdom of the crowd will just, you know, simply kind of, you know, from the past will simply kind of take over and matter more than, you know, what, what the different tweaks are, right? No, but I think it's also... The law of large number really takes hold here. Yeah, right? that's, this that's is actually what yeah. really is happening here is that you now just have enough volume where you don't care about any one individual deal anymore. You know that each rep, because also how many they need to close and their quota probably, they're taking on hundreds of opportunities within the quarter. And if you are an SMB, you typically will have a fairly consistent close rate on those opportunities. So it's actually not about anything besides the understanding of what is the volume in, expectations about how much of that typically has closed in the past, depending on the channel, and then using that as the predicted yeah. future outcome. And, you know, if we're talking sales forecast, I think this is the right approach. It could be stage-based, by the way, in this yeah. case. It could also be past performance-based. It could be either of those two. Um, I don't think I would ask an AE to for a 2K deal that he's going to work on two calls long uh, yeah. to be like, ooh, you know, this is a needs analysis. I need to put it there. I'm going to take it down a little bit. That's way too much thinking for that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't, you know, trust that less. And then also on the AI side, it's like, I don't, you know, you don't need AI to kind of predict this. Like you don't need the engagement level and all of that stuff. So I think it's very much, you know, past performance and or stage based. Um, and I think then the other piece, you know, this is for the naive forecast, but really what you need to, you know, tell your CEO which number you're going to hit, you need to blend this with a projection. And that projection basically should be or needs to be about, how many opportunities are we going to uh, open in the coming weeks and months? And, you know, that much time that we still have, you can simplify it down and just count until two weeks before the quarter end and just say like, okay, you know, every opportunity after that is going to close in the next quarter. It's not fully true, but let's just say that's what it is. You take those opportunities, you be a bit smart about how you segment them out, you apply a conversion rate and ACV, and then you kind of maybe get to a projection that could work out. Yeah, yeah. And also with SMBs, you're typically talking ACVs where you wouldn't have outbound. This is a pure inbound thing. So it's actually more akin to how you might run e-commerce analytics, right? Yeah. It's actually, it is all about the volume in. 
And also, I mean, so, I mean, in the SMB team that I worked at, we did measure towards quarters, but we were way more focused on actually also the month. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of, totally normal. You kind of take these these timeframes down and it's really just about the month and that's what you're incentivizing and measuring against. And, you know, that's what we did. We had the dashboard up for the quarter because, you know, for whatever reason, that was the number. Uh, but kind of that's that was really actually the approach to it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the mid-market, Olafur, how should that be best done? No, I think that's... Uh, to my point earlier, I think that's where I really think empowering the salespeople to run their own deals, be fully in the know, because you are kind of looking at some kind of volume, but there's still enough reason to actually be specific on a deal by deal level. And this is where it can't be outsourced to you know management. It should be the AE giving a strong framework of referencing what is the qualification process and how do I connect that to my likelihood to close. And I think it's really then... T- for me, it's always about what is the closest thing to truth that we can get to. Mm-hmm. And when it's high volume, we don't have time to get the truth on every sales call from the AE. So we're doing a data you know, volume-based approach. With this approach, you actually do need to rely that the person close to the deal with the most amount of data or information is actually the person talking to the customer. And it's still worth it to kind of do it on a, on a deal by deal basis. So Absolutely. That's kind of where I've and landed then, on it. <clears throat> what, about, um, what about the data aspect in here? Right. Let's just say you're mid-market. Let's just say you have like uh, six weeks of sales cycles or something like that. Um, the thing is now, theoretically, I obviously know like, oh, yeah, the, you know, you should have a data aspect in here. But um, I don't remember us doing that at least kind of uh, back then. Right? No, it was a little bit more gut-driven, <laughs> I think. But uh, what, are we, what you should essentially do, if you really think about it, is to actually base the process and the likelihood ranges that you give them within the stages that they're at that should be informed by past data. Basically, let's just say that from negotiation, we just see that 80% of the deals close. You then should be giving them a 90 to 70% threshold within that state so that that feels guided by data, what we know from our past. So that's kind of what I think we could have improved upon when we did it yeah. uh, in our first stint. Yeah. So that's the mid-market. I think um, I think that's fair. We kind of discussed this you know, already quite a bit. Again, kind of... Uh, I think uh, I really like this whole, hey, in this stage, you can go up to X percent, mm-hmm. not higher, but you can go lower. I think that was actually a really cool way to manage this in the end. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, enterprise. Um, and again, enterprise, we're talking 50K and upwards. We're talking maybe north of six months even and so forth, right? I mean, that's kind of the the, the game we're playing here. What, what would be your yeah. recommendation? I think now we're talking... AE based, I might even recommend the you know commit uh, upside framework even uh, to a certain degree for this. The AI piece could be used here to monitor the deals because you actually need to enrich every single deal with the max amount of information that you can. But the two most important parts here is that the sales rep is really tied on managing whether it's commit or upside. And the timeline, is it in this quarter or next quarter? And if you don't see it closing because it's such a long sales cycle, you should know 30 days before the deal is supposed to close whether you've gotten it far enough. It's to also move deals out of quarter when uh, when you do see that it's probably not going to close. Mm. Uh, because it is, it is a black and white situation. Either the deal is going to 100% close in the quarter or it's 100% going to be out. And if you don't believe you're going to get it in within the time frame, then put it at the most reasonable time it's not about moderating the likelihood to close or anything like that. It's actually more managing the timeline than anything else. Yeah. No, exactly. And really in kind of in that conversation also, you know, making sure, um, you know, that the transparency with the manager and manager kind of up and so forth, right? I think yeah. 
I think as long as you don't have like lots of volume actually in the enterprise, um, it can be extremely, you know, it can be tiring actually, right? Because yeah. you live and die with this one single deal and, you know, yeah. oh, then this, this guy broke his leg, you know, while skiing, you know, after Christmas and suddenly you can't, yeah, yeah. You can't get the signature in time, right? No, but at the end of the day, an AE rep is going to carry 700 to a million in quota. And with the ACBs that we're talking about, we're talking 10 deals a year. That's yeah. probably what it is. Maybe even five. Yeah. So it's uh, it is a every single deal to be monitored to death. Usually, we'll also have deal teams on that, so the manager will be intimately involved in the process. There will be precious engineering and so on and so forth. So you have a lot more spectrum to actually triangulate individual deals than you have in the mid market and SMB, obviously. What are your do's and don'ts here? Don't do management overrides. I think I mentioned that one. <laughs> uh, and I think kind of make sure that you also run forecast meetings with your direct team. So don't yeah. make it into a management exercise because you need the rep to actually participate, argue the case for every deal that is in their forecast. So when the manager is then communicating the forecast upwards in the management layer, they have all the understanding. They have the reasoned arguments. They won't be saying, ah, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit bloated because we're a little bit this, that, and the other thing. They at that point are completely accountable for it. Yeah. That all of those kinks that should have been worked out in the in the team sessions, they should never be ported up to the management team. Yeah. And I would say make the owners of the forms would be the sales manager. And in the management meeting, it should be the CRO. I think, you know, and I've been in companies where I've run it or or someone on my team has run it. But I think that's to kind of have a, you know, neutral moderating voice. But I'm just not sure I believe in that. It is a moment of accountability and, you know, people taking ownership of that yeah. number. And I think yeah. diluting that with some kind of neutral moderator, I'm not sure is like actually the right thing. No, no, I mean, if you're running those forecasting meetings, make them centered around, um, if you're RevOps, yeah. make them, you know, maybe you're not running them, but you're definitely going to be in the driver's seat. I mean, that's what we're seeing a lot, especially if you're sales ops specifically. Try and be helpful. You know, yes, you're going to be the person, you know, pulling the spreadsheet and, you know, putting the report or, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but try and be helpful in the sense of like, hey, this deal, um, you know, I can help you with this legal problem or I can, I can talk to product for you for this or I can pull this in or I can, you know, whatever, yeah. that, that, you know, whatever there might be, try and be helpful um, because that will earn you some points in some other areas. Yeah. And I think maybe, I'm not sure if it's a do, but for me it was a do. It was something to make people take ownership and, pride in having actually a accurate forecast is to when you have the forecast meeting write down what every single team is forecasting and measure that throughout time and when the quarter is done show them how their forecast developed and how accurate they were in those meetings across time so that they can start to internalize when are they off and how much are they off by and actually they'll these are sales leaders. They will have a healthy amount of competition and we even had a prize with a Lego, which nobody should care about. But these sales leaders would spend an enormous amount of time making sure the forecast was correct so that they were eligible for the most on-point sales leader in their forecasting. Isn't that crazy? Tell me more about that one, actually. So, you know, let's just say, you know, whatever Legos is like really important for them. That was right? the competition. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the tracking itself, right? And... Uh, 
Was this a thing that kicked in at the beginning of the quarter or, or was it kind of later oh, it's on? It's so, the, so I'm kind of wondering, is it like a, um, was it a pure guess game or did they just like, were they actually, no, did we, they have all the information, let's say it the other way around, did they have all the information at that point in time, obviously you have more information as those deals progress, yeah. but they have like all the information even possible to make this call. Because otherwise you're going into this yeah. other problem no, no, that no, we no, had. No, it's no. like, I, oh, I you totally know what? Had. Actually, it's only going to get us halfway This there. was for an enterprise business. So, so all the deals were open at that point. 140, 50 day sales cycle. All the deals that were most likely going to close were open at that point. But the same principle applies if you're SMB, then just do it for the last 30 days of the quarter or whatever. But make people understand that them being super bullish is going to make them look foolish when they then fuck it up or being super pessimistic and always overhitting, you almost get these archetypes of people to kind of reveal themselves and just showing them, hey, you tend to be kind of a negative, you mm. know, Nelly around this thing. Negative Nelly. Be, uh, be more accurate. Debbie Downer. Yeah. What's the positive here? Don't you, you, you know what you can't do? Uh, a positive, uh, what is it? Adverb, adjective, and a male name. You know, I need to come up mm. with, you know, it needs to be also female. No, and I think one of the don'ts I would just say is as well is don't ever, ever allow a sales leader to on a forecasting call call out, oh, it's a CRM hygiene thing. My reps haven't updated yet. The requirement is for that leader to have done everything that he needs to do so that in that meeting, we're not talking about, oh, I'm going to call Johnny and have him update those two deals. I know we have more in the bank here. Like this is counterproductive to that meeting. It actually completely destabilizes the meeting and makes yeah. it non-value adding. So yeah. hold them accountable that the CRM is up to date. If that is one of their problems of being accurate, hold them accountable. Yeah, fun with that, everyone. <laughs> hold them accountable. Okay, wonderful. Um, let's wrap this up here. So today was really about forecasting. We had uh, the different ways of doing forecasting, different methodologies. And then, you know, pointing on some of the weaknesses of those forecasts, right? We talked about the projection piece that maybe needs to come in. And then finally splitting this up into the different segments. Thank you very much, everyone. Uh, we're gonna, you know, I've been, I've been, you know, sweating a little bit here. So I'm actually looking forward to the summer break and uh, see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.